Welcome to the official podcast for the 28th Annual FIRST Conference in Seoul, South Korea. The conference is taking place between June the 12th and June the 17th. For more information, go to www.first.org. This time on the show, I'm lucky enough to be joined by Art Mannion and Chris King from CERTCC. Thanks very much for taking the time to join me, guys. Sure. Thanks for having us. Yeah, definitely. So at the upcoming first conference in, in Seoul, you're going to be running a, a tutorial on coordinated vulnerability disclosure for vendors. Maybe you can jump into the, the, the topic a little bit. Give us kind of an elevator pitch on, on what you're going to be covering during this tutorial. The tutorial is generally focused on uh, focused for vendor a vendor audience. And vendors often have a, a C-cert team. It's often called a P-cert, product security response. And one of the many services a P-cert might perform is coordinating vulnerability reports with external researchers. And this is the, uh, you've, you've heard this as coordinated vulnerability disclosure, or previously it was often called responsible vulnerability disclosure. We've been doing this for a long time, and we want to help vendors be able to do it better for themselves. And that's the reason for the tutorial. And, and I just want to jump in and, uh, in particular, one of the things that we've sort of been looking into is kind of newer vendors or what we like to call emerging technology vendors who haven't really been into the security space as much and are realizing that this is something that they need to be more focused on. Uh, and so if you think of sort of the, the newer kind of technology domains like automotive, which is much more focused on, um, uh, IT systems than and before and has a lot more code in their vehicles than in the past. These are vendors that we're trying to target with, with this course. What are some of the difficulties that, that vendors or, or other C-certs, P-certs may have starting up this kind of program? So, so a vendor that may really have no idea about how to start things up, what would be their, their first steps to, to kind of moving towards having some kind of process for coordinated vulnerability disclosure? One of the biggest issues we see is, is, um, and partly to Chris's point that he just made about sort of the IoT space, there are vendors who are simply sort of unaware, uh, that once, once you attach computers and networks and expose things that were not previously exposed, that this whole, the coordination and disclosure ecosystem now also comes into play. Somebody might find something, try to report to you. So even being reachable in the first place, having, Often it's thrown around the term, you know, having a security hat address, but a way to be contacted by external researchers, even having that and sort of a minimal process to, when those messages come in, uh, respond to them and, and, and open a ticket or do something in your bug or support process. Just that bare minimum is often missing from vendors who just aren't aware that this whole process and this whole world exists. And from a cert CC perspective, when we receive a vulnerability report, often the reason why we're forced to disclose a vulnerability to the public, you know, with, without informing the vendor is because we simply can't get in contact with that vendor. This is the same thing that also occurs to researchers uh, who are trying to reach a vendor or unable to reach that vendor. And so in sort of, you know, frustration, they, they end up just posting it to the public and that vendor ends up with a zero day in their um, software product. Well, certainly the, the discussion about coordinated vulnerability disclosure from a, from a researcher point of view has been well documented and, and 
well argued um, for hours and hours on end at, at various <laughs> conferences. Yeah. Um, obviously, from the vendor point of view, it it, it can also be a, a serious struggle. Obviously, especially if you're you're trying to do that in coordination with starting a bug bounty program, it, it's kind of a danger sometimes going from zero to one hundred too quickly. Going from not having any kind of security contact and then jumping in with a bug bounty can can often lead to companies being overwhelmed by the amount of response. Yes. We've heard that from uh, uh, at least I can I can think of two vendors at least who have had that experience. Um, they already had some capability, but open bug bounty programs and were you know were swamped with uh, a large number of reports of uh, how shall I say varying quality. Funny story: uh, the Cert CC opened a project on Hacker One. The only bounty we offer is um, a swag, but. We also were, you know, it was a very small flood, but we were hit with a number of reports for things in our website, minor improvements here and there. They were legitimate issues, but um, I personally spent a lot of time acting like a P-cert, uh, and that was kind of very enlightening as to the uh, the varying quality and, and kinds of reports that come in. And again, we were giving away, you know, um, bicycle seat covers and cord tacos and notebooks and pens, uh, and we, but still we had a, um, a small a small swarm of people uh, reporting to us right away. I think that's a, a case of lesson learned. I mean, kind of, uh, if you if you're going to go from zero to one hundred, go in stages. Obviously, you know, take take those small yeah. baby steps. Figure out where your security currently lies, just by kind of exposing information about how to contact you before you dive in with uh, with a full on bug bounty program. Even yeah, even if you're not offering money, obviously. The discussions I've I've been part of typically the bug bounty is considered you know um, one of the more mature stages of the capability, right? First, be able to even receive reports, um, be able to put out fixes, and, and, and talk to the public or the customer about what happened. You know, some 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 more more advanced stages are have a uh, have a feedback mechanism to your SDL, so you can make improvements once you find bug reports coming in, uh, fix things before they ever go out in the first place. And then the bug bounty is is really usually considered something for a more mature response capability. Always make sure you've run your own vulnerability scan before you open up the, the floodgates. Yes. Yeah. Because that's obviously the the first thing you're going to get reported is is everyone's Nessus scans, everyone's Nmap scans, just just dumped in an email and sent to your security yep. app. So. Yeah, save yourself the trouble and yeah, do it first. Uh, one interesting thing uh, as well is you know we say have a way to contact you. And that seems like a very simple thing. You know, you put up a website and you say reach me here, uh, but there's actually a lot of backend processes you have to have in place and sort of the ability to receive the reports and triage them to the right people within an organization. Especially if your organization is, is kind of not small, larger companies often have difficulty because they don't know who to contact and which team or which group has this product. Um, and so it ends up being almost a fact-finding mission for them to kind of figure out who to talk to um, and, and at what time. I guess one of the other things that companies may not be uh, considering when they're, they're looking at coordinated disclosure is that they need to actually have someone at the back end who's going to spend the time to look at these issues, spend the time to, to work and do the coordination from the vendor point of view. If, if they already have staff that are snowed under and, and can't get the general flow of work finished, dumping uh, additional security vulnerabilities on them and expecting them to somehow fit them in leads to, to obviously a bad experience on both sides. So the vendor may be trying to respond and trying to fix issues issues, but obviously that's going to take a significant amount of time because they don't have enough time to fix the issues. Whereas the researcher may be expecting maybe 60, 90 days before they they actually start saying, well, hey, I'm just going to put this on full disclosure. So I, I guess that's one thing that, uh, that vendors, P-certs, C-certs might, might not be considering as well is the amount of overhead it takes on the back end to actually sort these problems out. 
No, that's, that's a good point. And I, you know, I, I say, I say easily on a podcast here, you know, make sure you have a way to be contacted, but there really is the, you need to have some of the back end things in place. And that includes, you know, resources and people's time and energy uh, to spend on these reports when they come in. Otherwise, right. You're going to, you're going to create a backlog. You're going to create slow response times, uh, things not getting fixed, which is just, you know, just trouble. So the, the right answer is, uh, you know, give this some thought, develop a bit of policy around it. When you do open your, open the front door for reports, whether that's a bounty or just even having an email address or a support, you know, a support website or a support form, you do need to have, have some of the back end ready in advance. Otherwise you're, you're asking for trouble. You're mentioning the various new standards that have that have come out recently over the last couple of years. So the the standard on vulnerability disclosure, which is uh, ISO twenty nine one forty seven, um, and vulnerability handling, so uh, thirty thousand one hundred eleven, which is a mouthful. Um, <laughs> but I understand those are. I think at least one of those now is actually freely available online because I know originally when they were released, it was it was behind a paywall to actually get a copy of it. Are you basing quite a lot of the the, the tutorial and and how you're suggesting vendors set themselves up on these standards or, or are the standards still kind of a work in progress and, and don't really fit the mold for, for new companies nowadays? So, uh, so first of all, yes, the, the, the first one you mentioned, 29147, is available for free, which is um, a small victory in my book uh, in, in, in ISO terms. Most definitely, uh, yeah. um, So <laughs> uh, it's a little bit of a tricky answer. I would say the way I'm looking at it is this. So from CertCC's perspective, we've been doing a lot of this work for literally decades, I think almost 30 years. Vulnerability disclosure and coordination got very interesting again in the last three, four, five years. So whatever, whatever we're involved in, whether it's this ISO standard or, uh, or any other disclosure discussions or processes, we try to bring the same, you know, the same thinking, sometimes the same people, the same messaging to those discussions. And part of our hope in doing that is, um, to have some consistency across all of these, all of these different efforts. So due to the way ISO works, that standard was really, it was published in 2014. The content was frozen a year or two before that. Um, and that standard was a bit of a defensive standards effort, uh, trying to get it to be, you know, modestly useful, but not harmful really. Um, and the current, the current state, it's not harmful. The, the work we're putting into this tutorial at first and other efforts is, I would say, you know, more advanced and more usable than what's in the ISO uh, standard. Now, the uh, other, other bit of good news, as well as being available for free, is that both of those standards are under active development or revision. So we're hoping to update them to be much more useful. And that's another probably year's worth of time before um, those are updated and publicly available. So one of the things we were talking about just before we went on on the air for the podcast was the intricacies and the issues of, of dealing directly with researchers um, across global boundaries as well. So you're possibly dealing with with people who don't have English as the, as the first language, different cultural requirements, and also kind of different pressures and, and different views on the world. I know that's something that you're talking about in the tutorial itself, along with things like legal concerns. Um, is that something that you've you've found to be particularly tricky, or, or is that not usually a, a big issue for these kind of vendors? I, I think it's definitely something that's a little tricky. So uh, I, I, we kind of break them down a bit into what we call researcher archetypes, and it's more of just sort of a recon- recognizing that there are different uh, maturity levels of um, each researcher's knowledge and sort of how well they're versed with particular uh, with, with one of the disclosure process. 
some researchers are, are you know, very knowledgeable about how to report a vulnerability. They know sort of what uh, we're looking for, for example, or what a company might be looking for. Uh, and they provide all the information you need in a single swoop. Other researchers, and this might be their first vulnerability, they might be kind of new to the space. They might be just kind of interested in, in seeing if this goes through. They end up having a lot less information that's usable. The report might not necessarily be high quality. It might be riddled with spelling mistakes or perhaps even technical mistakes as well. Uh, and so it, it ends up being almost um, intuition at, at times for a, a, a P-cert or a, a organization to understand, you know, which one this kind of falls into, which which kind of bucket this falls into. And why that's important is sort of just being able to um, treat them in a way that kind of reduces the, your workload, but also kind of make sure that they are um, also treated, you know, equitably when it comes to sort of their report. And uh, so to your, to your question, Chris, um, there, there are, you know, there are, there are sort of geographic, national, territorial, cultural things, language things that come into play. We actually have had a lot of success working with um, JP Cert CC out of out of Japan uh, for many years, um, and very commonly uh, for language and time zone issues and cultural issues, whether it's Japanese vendors or even even you know Asia Pacific region vendors, uh, we get a lot more success out of handing those over to JP Cert, uh, and hopefully they get some benefit from from passing things back to us for for US or possibly um, EU based uh, companies. So. Yes, that's an issue. We do get some benefit out of the, the global nature of, uh, of, of CSERT teams. Um, there's also, I think we've already covered this a bit, but the, you know, there's the cultural gap between, for instance, a, uh, I'll give some extremes. You know, there's the large corporate enterprise software manufacturer, global company, uh, and an independent researcher, not even working for a, for a security firm or something. Um, possibly in the same, same cultural regions, possibly not. So there's, there's even a, just a professional sort of cultural gap that exists. Actions that, actions that are common in every day to a large enterprise organization could seem, uh, you know, threatening or strange or unintelligible to an individual who's working very quickly and sort of on their own. One of the other interesting things is their motivations might be different. Uh, and not saying it's bad, but it's more of just being able to recognize what that means for, for uh, your organization. For example, if they're a security company, uh, they might be interested in some complicity, which means that you have to have PR and other staff available to kind of answer questions from the media and how you know how you respond to that vulnerability. Um, in other cases, they might be an academic researcher who's more interested in uh, getting it published at a conference, and so they, they have a different time pressure and different sort of scale. And as an organization, you have to be willing to, to kind of deal with that. Yeah, and hopefully the the you know one of the points of our tutorial is to help with these cultural and communications gaps. So that somebody, you know, the benefit from having taken the tutorial and, and, and learned some of these things would be not to hit as many pitfalls as uh, others have in the past, like us. Is that one of the main benefits you're hoping to get out of this is obviously to, to bring attendees up to, a, to an additional level and to in, increase the amount of work they're doing with researchers to try and reduce the load that you're seeing? Because I, I can understand quite a lot of things uh, tend to be oh well we don't know how to how to do this we'll just send it over to, to cert cc or we'll send it over to us cert <laughs> depending on the <laughs> i mean it, it's the fallback right so it's like i don't sure, know what sure. to do with this let's send this to cert cc because that's what they do I, I can imagine that's that's something that you see on a regular basis and looking at this and thinking well if if the vendor knew how to do this we wouldn't have to deal with X amount of days work every year. So bringing that kind of company and that kind of environment up to a to a level where they can handle things themselves is obviously beneficial across the board. 
Right. And there is, you know, there is a small amount of sort of selfish interest, self-interest here. Um, we, we do a fair amount of education and advocacy, both for vendors and researchers. However, you know, this tutorial is focused on a much, much more of a vendor audience. It's really not so much that, that we personally don't want to do the work, but our, our role as a, uh, we're a federally funded research organization in, in, in U.S. government terms. Our role is to enable, uh, and transition the rest of the world, industry, marketplace, you know, vendors and researchers together, other people to do this work. Our, our role is not to, to, to scale up and do all of it for everyone. So, you know, a course like this or a paper or a presentation, uh, talking to people, the operational work we do, but educating, educating uh, participants as we go along, all of those things help with sort of the transition discussion so that we want, we want PCERT teams and vendors to be better at this. We want researchers to be better at it. We want other coordination centers who are closer to um, specific domains of expertise to be better at it. And someday we may not do the work anymore and we'd be happy to, happy to do that. I'm not sure how soon that'll be. So it's not so much that we don't, we're not willing to do it. It's that our role really is to help others do it. And again, that's, you know, a course like this is a home run in terms of, um, of that sort of transition. Home run being a U.S. baseball team term. <laughs> and we're back to the communication with vendors in uh, different areas. It, it, ab- absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> I should not write that in email. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I'm English and I got that. So that's fine. Great. Well, I, I, th- I think we've kind of covered off most of what we needed to cover with, with this. I really appreciate you taking the time to come and have a chat with us on the podcast. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to actually attending the tutorial and, and hopefully being able to chat with other people who are maybe just getting into this other people get their experiences on on how they're finding their program at the specific company maybe it will uh, will spawn a, a round table discussion about things we've seen and, and how we can make them better and i think that's that's always a good conversation to have yeah thank you for, for having us here and, and as you said uh, more discussion and, and more interest and attendance i think at this would be would be fantastic i think from, from both our point of view as presenters and for uh, those attending the conference You've been listening to the official podcast of the 28th Annual First Conference in Seoul, South Korea. Occurring June 12th through 17th, 2016. Thank you very much for listening.